to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Okay, so I'm here in building 109. Um, just missed a heavy downpour. I'm saturated, but it's all good. I feel like I do do a lot of weather reports on this podcast, but we're in Seattle and it's always raining. So, what is the weather tomorrow? Do you know? Um, no, no. Okay, probably raining. Probably. <laughs> Autumn <laughs> is well and truly upon us, so we're doomed. Goodbye, summer. But the good news is, is I get to go to Australia for four weeks, which means I skip the winter here. That's true. Well, I mean, aren't they going to the winter there? No, no, it's opposites. It's a different hemisphere. Oh, we should just delete, delete that part from the podcast now. <laughs> We're giving Nicola a geography lesson. Uh, so I'm here in 109 with Nicola, and uh, Paul is on vacation at the moment. He's actually in Disneyland uh, with his family. Disney World, Disneyland. I don't know which I one it was. I wasn't invited. No, nor was I. I did text him the other day, completely forgetting he was on vacation. He replied back, I'm on vacation, I'm not answering that question. And I was like, that's a really good way of dealing with yeah. it. Yeah. He didn't leave you hanging. He didn't set up an out-of-office on his SMS. Can you do that? I don't know, but you really should be an that's app an that we app. should build. You should build an app. I know. I'll Connect to the graph. So um, thank you for being a stand-in for Paul. You're I welcome. I feel like you have way more hair than him as one starter. Actually, I haven't met him in person, so I don't know. You haven't, you haven't no. met Paul? And he has a, a very unique laugh. So we'll have to work out whether I can get you to laugh loud enough to know whether you're unique as well. I can do an awkward laugh if that helps. <laughs> Definitely, but don't do it yet. Okay. Do it when it's unexpected. Okay, I'll try. So um, for regular listeners, we do an intro where we talk about what's new in the world. And so there was two exciting things that happened this week um, externally that we can share. One of them is that we or you may already be aware if you've been doing Azure development that there is this Azure, or sorry, a Microsoft Learn platform where you can go do modules. And when you complete the modules, you'll get experience points and you get badges and you have your Microsoft Learn profile. And so we just shipped our first two Microsoft Graph modules this week, one that's on uh, query parameters and dealing with query parameters on the graph, and one which is all about optimizing uh, your network traffic on the graph. So it goes into depth about throttling and handling 429s. And there's lab exercises that will kind of build a, a non-optimized .NET app that will thrash the graph. And then um, it shows you how to not thrash the graph and uh, back off with retry after handlers and using the SDK and so forth. So this is kind of a good little way of, even if you've been doing the graph for a while, just to go see that you're using the right guidance and so forth on, on both of those actual modules. If I haven't used Microsoft Learn, is it more of a video type um, learning or is, what, what kind of learning no, is it? No, it's interesting. The, these are like this one, both those modules are about eight or nine different sections. And some of the pages have quiz questions on them just to make sure you are actually paying attention. And then there's like lab guides you follow, like you would do if you're in an event with a hands-on lab. Okay, so I have yeah. to follow all the steps and then I get to be tested. Yeah, that's right. And then we, because the Microsoft Learn videos that they wanted us to do were too short form, we'd actually recorded like 60 minute as if you were watching someone mm -hmm. do the entire thing end to end. And so that link will be in the modules as well. Oh, because I have, have a choice. Yeah, so yeah. you can kind of either just consume the video or you can kind of 
do it yourself depending on your learning style. So that's all out there today. And um, if you go to graftermicrosoft.com and click on docs in the top navigation, tutorials on the left-hand side, and then all of our tutorials are there. And two of them are on Microsoft Learn. The rest of them are currently still in our docs.microsoft.com platform. But over time, we'll move them all to the, the Learn module. So you get your XP credits, which I'm not sure what you get for them other than bragging rights. And I know actually a lot of people use it when they're recruited, like trying to hire for new jobs. They'll they'll link their Learn profile to show what kind of modules and certifications they've got. Oh, that is really cool. Can you do certifications through it? Do you know if it's just for just the rights? learning modules right now? Yeah. Um, and then the other big bit of a news, which I will not steal the funder of Nicola because he is the the godfather of lists, I guess is the right way to explain it. The godfather. I like that. Yeah, that's good. I should one, get right? a title. <laughs> <laughs> you can change it in the gal. Go to head tracks. The godfather of the toolkit. Yeah. So what yes. happened with the toolkit this week? I mean, I've been asleep all week, not paying yeah, attention. You have no idea, right? Yeah. No. Uh, so finally, after months and months of hard work and announcing the Microsoft Graph Toolkit at Build this year in May, we're now in uh, GA, which Ooh. means the toolkit is now generally available. It's fully supported and it's version 1.0. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a huge milestone for us and something we've been working towards for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's really exciting because I think sometimes when we announce things in preview, some people will get on it and give us feedback straight away and then others will wait till it's v1 to mm -hmm. do anything in anger is the right word in anger with it to then provide feedback and we got some people that were giving us good feedback but not too many i think right. because a lot of people wanted to make sure it was v1 first and so now it's in v1 we're already like i've had feedback already from it which is great and it was only yesterday so um now i'm excited to see what everyone listening hint hint nudge nudge does with some of the the toolkit and i know we only had you on six weeks ago but a lot's changed since then was it already six weeks yeah huh? maybe eight weeks yeah but um we, we wanted to kind of not do the same overall thing of like what is the toolkit but go into a lot of detail kind of i said kind of nerd out a little bit on the deep detailed decisions we made along the way or that your team made along the way that we kind of added insight to but um just as an overview one minute go what's the toolkit so for developers who are building web applications and who want to leverage the Microsoft Graph, they can use the Microsoft Graph Toolkit to really quickly, one line of code or two lines of code, bringing a UI into their application that automatically talks to Microsoft Graph. So if somebody wants to bring the calendar in or they want to bring a, a person in or the person card and a people picker or whatever it is, one or two lines of code and you have something that's working automatically. It's cool. And yeah. it is really that easy. It, it was it, that it, easy that even I demoed it on the stage right. in the keynote. Yeah, it's been a, a long time trying to get it to that one line of code. And we've went to many different prototypes. And it's something I would love to talk about and kind of go, guide, uh, maybe chat about how we actually got to where we are today. And if you're a betting man, out of the ones that you've launched, which one will be the, I've got to be careful how I phrase this now, the top Mao. So most actively used by individual delegated sign-ons. So like I'm hitting a web page and the, the control is loaded and used. Which one of those do you think will be it? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I would say probably the, uh, the person card and the person control. That's component. two. Which one? Well, I mean, they're kind of tied yeah, one to one. True. So, I mean, if you have to talk through it, uh, the person probably because you have to see the person first and then you have to click on it or hover over to, it to see, see the person the card. card. 
So yeah. And the person card's brand new, so we didn't talk about the last yep. podcast. So what is the person card? So if you've uh, used any of our Microsoft 365 experiences, which I assume most people have, and you hover over uh, a person, or you hover, or you click on a person in Outlook or Teams, you would see more information about that person, mm -hmm. who, uh, who their manager is, where they sit, what their email address is, etc. So this is a V1 of a third-party component that does exactly that. Uh, as a developer, I can put this in my application, and my user can hover over a specific user, or they can click on it, and they can get more info about that user from data that comes from the Microsoft Graph. And the cool thing, because I you know, asked this and I didn't know the answer, and then you answered back was, uh, can they add additional data into that card if they choose to? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yes, they can. I mean, we've started from the beginning when we developed the toolkit, and we started thinking about how developers use this. Extensibility was on top of the list of things that we need to support. And the graph itself is extensible. You can add data into the graph uh, as a, as a graph developer. But even in the UI, you want to make sure the developers can use that data. So. We added support for templating and developers can template it or they can add additional data into it that the user will be able to see. And so the scenario of I have an open extension or a schema extension on the user object, when I click on Nicola's people card, I could show their cost center and that cost center could come from the open extension or schema extension associated with the user object. Absolutely. absolutely. Boom, drop yeah. the mic. Yeah. Coming from the world I came from prior to rejoining Microsoft, that was a very big ask of a lot of companies. So, Yeah, uh, I would love to, uh, if anybody has any issues with it or they want to have questions about it, they can always hit me up and I would love to sit down and kind of walk people through it. It's really easy to do. And so all of these um, toolkit components are web components. Correct. And we did talk about this before, but just to... I wanted to go into a little bit more detail about the decision process because mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, but we're on this track of React across the whole of M365 platform. Why are we using web components? And that doesn't make too much sense. But what was the philosophy behind picking web components? And first, maybe just introduce what a web component right. is if they didn't listen to the previous show. So a web component is it's actually a web standard. And it's actually three different web standards, um, the most important one being custom elements. And custom elements is the ability to define a uh, exactly what it sounds like, a custom element inside of your HTML that acts as a native element. So you know how you have a div, you have a list item. This will be just another element that you've created. You've given it a name, and then just the browser natively knows how to render it inside of a web page. So you don't have to use an external framework to actually load this in. It just works natively in the browser. And the, the thinking behind it was when we went and talk to developers who are using, who are building web applications and who are building and using our existing third-party libraries, the feedback we got is that while most of our libraries are in React and a lot of developers do use React, some developers do not. Some developers use Angular or a Vue or some people are still using jQuery. Um, they want to be able to leverage those as well. And the beauty of web components is that it doesn't matter what web framework you're using because at the end of the day, it's just a, a native component that gets loaded by the browser automatically and just renders in the browser, you can just use web components in any web framework. And by us leveraging the web, uh, the, the web component standard, we don't have to depend on a web framework. So if tomorrow, let's say, there's a new web framework called Jeremy UI and developers- Clearly it will go viral. Yeah. Uh, developers might jump on it immediately. We don't have to rewrite all our components to support Jeremy UI because our components already run in the browser and they run in Jeremy UI. 
then it's modern browsers, I guess, right? Like yeah, most uh, most all modern browsers, not most. Yeah. So um, the only browser that's not natively supporting it now is IE, um, which we have polyfills for. So it even runs in IE right now. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that either. That's very cool. And so on that journey, like how, when you prototype, did you start your prototypes in web components or where did you start? Well, initially we started with React. We started right. playing around with with building these components because the idea wasn't to build web components. The idea was to build functional components, mm -hmm. which is um, components that already know how to talk to the Microsoft Graph. It's not something the developer wanted to write code for. It's something you just plop on the page and it already is live with data from the graph. And initially we started building them in React, but the more feedback we got, we decided to kind of pivot to, to web components. And initially we, we built them using a library called Stencil. It's actually, a, they call it a compiler. It's Stencil.js, which uh, compiles down to native web components when you build it. And we built this prototype and we went around the company. I came to you and I showed you showed you this thing and you were blown away by it and said, this is awesome. Um, uh, it worked really, really great. Uh, we had, I think the first component that we built was the login component and the person component. Uh, and initially, um, in order to use them, you had to separately instantiate authentication library, you had to separately instantiate mCell. And we found that Stencil didn't allow us to kind of marry the, both the authentication and the functional components the way we wanted it to, because it just had a, a it was very, it was very set in its own ways, if, if that makes sense. So we decided to kind of look around and find, we found Lit Element, which at the time actually turned 1.0. It was still in beta and was the reason why we didn't use it at first, but then it turned 1.0 and we gave it a second try and we actually rewrote all of our components in Lit Element. Hmm. And we found that Lilima gave us more flexibility. It wasn't as easy as to use as Stencil.js. Stencil.js did all the bundling for us, and it, it was really easy to just give it to somebody to use inside their inside their application. With Lit Element, we had to actually write the whole pipeline ourselves. We had to do the bundling ourselves and kind of do all the how do we ship npm packages, how do we ship uh, on the CDN. We had to figure all that out. But now we actually have the flexibility to kind of change things up really quickly, which we didn't get with Stencil.js at the time. And so with all that in mind, I mean, it's open source. So right. potentially anyone could pull this down. And I know you have a, a blank kind of component that, you, that anyone can use as a starter to get going, which hopefully some internal teams at Microsoft, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, who listen to this will actually go build some of those other components that we're already seeing right. asked for in, um, in the issues list on the GitHub repo. But is it intent that anyone could pull, close down this repo and get started and have another component up and running? Absolutely, yeah. Um, most of the components are, the way we've designed them and we architected them is uh, using interfaces. So if you want to create your own component, we actually have an interface that you don't have to worry about how to authenticate. You don't have to worry about how to get data from the graph or what graph client to use. That just gets passed down to you in what we call in the render function. So if you want to build your own component using the graph toolkit that uses um, uh, uses the graph, you just have to use the client that we give you. You just assume that the user is already authenticated, and it kind of just plays really nicely with the rest of with the rest of the page, with the rest of the the framework that the user is using. And so, how does that handle scopes? Like, if I wanted to go build a uh, let's think of one uh, like a security alert API mm -hmm. list, and I wanted to build that toolkit component. I would need to go get the 
security.read permission scope. I'm kind of making that up. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, But if I needed to get that permission scope, where does that play in this whole process of deployment of the toolkit and how it's obtaining tokens and how that maps to the application that's registered? Right. So we've separated the authentication from the actual uh, graph uh, or the actual components. Uh, in a way that we have interfaces that anybody can implement to create their own authentication provider. And we have built uh, several of them. So we've built the MCEL provider, which because he uses, um, because you don't have to actually provide the consent ahead of time, you can actually call the Microsoft Graph API and say what uh, what scope you need at the time you're calling the Graph API through MCEL. And that will actually prompt the user to consent to the to the permission at that point you don't have to actually do it at the beginning of the at the at the start of your development so even you don't even have to do that in the azure portal you can automatically just say hey i'm calling the security api this is the permission that a user would need and at the point that the user actually gets to that call being made then they will be asked hey i need to you need to give permissions for this scope and then they will do that or they won't do that and we handle that all into the MCEL provider. Mm-hmm. But if a developer has already integrated with MCEL or they're using ADEL or they're using a different provider, they would have to implement our iProvider interface and then can just let us know where that interface lives, where their implementation lives. And then our component will immediately pick that up and be able to kind of use their their in- implementation to get the tokens from, from whatever authentication method they're using. And so for the purposes of like, if I use the Jeremy's core alert component on an SPFX web part, your SPFX provider is just using whatever token gets passed to it from wherever it's hosted. So the same process that an SPFX developer would do to go add permissions in that admin center page would be the same way they would do it with right. using the com- these components. Absolutely. Yeah, we have the, we call it the SharePoint provider, um, which the developer just passes the contacts they get from the SharePoint web part. And then we automatically power our components with that context. So after they do that once, they don't have to do that ever again for any other component they're using on the page because the, the components already know what the context is. And uh, to just get access to the graph, they would have to follow the documented standard way of approving permissions on SharePoint for the yeah, graph. Yeah, that's really cool. So, like for any SharePoint developers listening, like people pickers and task um, components and calendar components, which I know because I've built them before for SharePoint intranets and all sorts. That that totally makes sense to go embed in right. directly in the page. And Teams developers that want a Teams tab that shows the planner that's associated with the team is, you know, it's a no-brainer that there's a tab for that. Right. And it's, um, it's really magical when you first start using it. You don't have to think about how do I give it permissions or how do I give it access to the graph. It kind of just magically knows. Because it's doing all the own. binding yeah. and stuff as well. It automatically knows how to do that, so you don't have to worry about it. And so when you first showed it to me, I was super impressed, but you said one line of code and there was four lines of code on a page. So when you left that meeting, like what was in your head like – how are you going to crunch it down? Like, did you have a plan for what it was going to look like to come down to crunch it down to one line? Or was that still like... Well, you know, we always kind of improve and we always learn from what we build. When I originally created the toolkit, it was to get the authentication to work. It was all in the code behind, right? Uh, there was never a way to do it as a component. I never even thought about that. 
Uh, and to me, four lines of code at a time was okay. I mean, it was mm -hmm. better than the hundreds of lines of code you have to do yeah, before, absolutely. right? absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, as I was showing it to more and more people, it just became obvious that this could improve, right? Uh, that's something that I've kind of based my career on is something can be, if something can be made more simple, make it more simple. Yeah, yeah. And if somebody wants to make it more complicated, then, then they can go in and, and change things up and, and kind of add their code as they need to. Uh, so after showing it uh, to you and to other folks, I got a bunch of feedback and then I realized that I can actually make it even less uh, less complicated by converting the providers into components. So now a developer doesn't have to do things all in, in code behind. They can all do it on the page. So now we have this non-UI-based web component they can just put onto your HTML page and say, hey, I want to use the MSL provider. Here's my client ID. Go figure everything out on your own. And all the components will automatically kind of pick that up for you. So it's, now it's just one line of code to add a provider and one line of code to add a component, which is technically two lines of code, <laughs> right? But, you know, it, it it makes a lot of sense when you start using it and we start playing around with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it is nice when you, like, especially when we take a, something like the SPFX where it is literally just two lines and you immediately get a people picker. Right. And you see the people's reactions when they're like, whoa, that's a lot of functionality right there that it's loading as you start doing type ahead. Yeah, and we can always do more picker. too. As, as people are using these things, they find, hey, it would be great if this component did blah or this component did whatever. It would be awesome to actually get that feedback uh, and people to start submitting issues and say, hey, I wish the people picker integrated with this API or was able to do this mm -hmm. and people start submitting those issues on GitHub. Yeah. I mean, I can think of things like being able to reduce the scope of what people get returned. Like that was always right. a big thing in SharePoint, like don't return any people unless they're actually a member of the SharePoint site they're in, for instance, that kind of right. thing will be useful. So you say code behind. Now I'm a .NET guy from way back and the JavaScript world I've dabbled in, I've kind of moved more into mobile dev, quite honestly, um, and native. But what do you mean by code behind when it comes? Was this when you were doing React and you had a a node? Well, maybe I'm using the, the wrong uh, wording. But when I say code behind, I mean JavaScript versus HTML. Right. Okay. Right. So the when I showed you the the original prototype, yeah. it was you had to do the initialization in JavaScript, and mm -hmm. then you could use it in in HTML and be able to kind of go on your way. Now you can do everything in HTML. You just plop the script on the on in the head, oh, and right. then you so just add your components in HTML, and you don't have to do any JavaScript at all. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, that, and I would treat that as cobine in the same way, right? Like as different different layers of the code. Right. What made you first start with the the sign in the login component? Like, was there a like how did you go? <laughs> excuse me. How would you go and do the research that these components we have shipped in V one were the ones we shipped first? Actually, that's a very good question. And there wasn't really much of a research, more of a, we need to prove that this can work, right? And in order for these components to work, they need to authenticate. And obviously the first thing that we need to do is sign in a user. So that's why we went with the signing component first. Yeah. How do we get a user to sign in? Because if we can't figure out that piece, the authentication piece, anything else that we do it will, will, won't matter because mm -hmm. they won't be useful until somebody signs in. And authentication is not that simple, right? So that's why we decided to do the login component first. It's something that to get us to a point where we can now start writing components that can leverage the authentication, the tokens we're getting from the authentication service. Uh, once we created the sign-in of the I providers and the login component, we then created the person component. And the reason why we did create that one because it was super simple. Mm -hmm. It was just something to prove that hey, we can now connect multiple components to one I provider 
to one authentication service and they can all leverage the graph. It can start l responding to graph changes and authentication changes. If I sign in, um, the component should be able to know that the user signed in and automatically start fetching data from the graph. If I sign out, the component should know that the, the user signed out and immediately kind of drop the data and say, hey, the user's not signed in, I don't have any more data. So be able to kind of prove those that life cycle of a component and how that those components will kind of work together. The third component we created was the agenda component, which the thinking was we need something that's more complicated, uh, something that we can we can test things with uh, styling. If a developer wants to style a component and be able to figure out how to change the colors or change the background, or even provide their own template to be able to change the functionality of the component, how would they do that? And in order to do that, we need to think of a component that's a bit more complicated. Mm -hmm. And that's what we thought of the agenda. It didn't come from an ask that we had. It just came from, we need to figure out how these things would work. And we cannot ship a, a library. We can't ship this toolkit without having an answer of how all of these things would work. And that's how the, the drive for the initial three components came is, what are the three components that we need to build to prove that we can actually do the things that we think we can do? Yeah, and then obviously the, the timing of that was like, suddenly you found out this was going to get showcased in the keynote build that Rajesh was leading. Right. Um, and then we found out that I was going to be the one presenting it, which made it even more important than we had something decent to demo. And so you and uh, Michael, who Michael Hawke is working yeah. now on the UWP toolkit. Yeah, the, the Windows Community Toolkit. So yeah. he kind of took that from you and you let your first child, yeah. <laughs> your first tech child go to Michael. But then Michael was working on a, a demo leveraging the toolkit. like, mm -hmm. And that was a good proving ground too, because uh, to be honest, I'd never even heard of you. <laughs> and um, okay. suddenly I was going to be on stage demoing a view, view app. Um, but like, was that straightforward? Like, did it just work? Because I'm assuming you were building, like when you were testing these before, what stacks were you using? Were you just right. HTML on the page? and? Yeah, originally it was all just vanilla JavaScript and HTML, no framework at all. Um, and then we, I mean, we did some tests with React because React was uh, by far the most used framework that developers were using that we were targeting. So we yeah. were testing things with React. Vue, we weren't testing anything with Vue. We tested a few things with Angular, and we knew things were working there. Um, when the, the came for the demo, actually, the demo request came from the identity team. They wanted to showcase mcell.js. They were announcing mcell.js right. uh, GA, and was like, we need a demo that we can showcase how to use mcell.js. And at the same time, they're like, well, we can use the same demo to showcase the graph and the toolkit. So we kind of put the two and two together. Uh, Michael, who was building the demo, was most familiar with Vue. He said, I'm going to do a Vue. And I was a bit worried. And like, I never tested Vue with the toolkit. <laughs> I have no idea if this is going to work. I hope it does, because it's web components, and you never know. And um, not surprisingly, because this was expected, it just worked. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, as we were building this, we found a bug in Vue, which was messing with the templating that we're doing with, with the toolkit. And we submitted that bug and fixed that bug in Vue in order to sh in order to show the demo at build so That's we actually right. had a fix in view right before the build keynote you know that works really great with the templating stuff we're doing in the toolkit and so uh, along that way like do, i mean is that the expected behavior as new web frameworks come along that that will be the same kind of approach that if anything it's going to be more that there might be a bug in the framework the necessary web components not working in certain frameworks i i believe i mean web components have been around for for a while now, but they haven't really seen a lot of traction until recent months or even this past year. So there's been a lot more effort to ensure that all web frameworks work with, with web components. So any library that's building web components 
um, should be okay with building any, with working with any web frameworks. I think the only web framework that has, that still is working towards their issues with web components is React. There's, yeah. there's documented workarounds for all these different things. Uh, but um, any other web frameworks from the start, they are supporting web components because that is kind of the, web, the, the way forward. And so the work that Michael did to stylize that app, because that did look more polished than mm-hmm. just throwing the components on a page right. and be like typing in a people picker on a white blank page. It was like more literal or a dashboard that showed the person signed in, their frequent comment, frequent contacts using the people API and then their calendar and their task list and then the recent right. files. But to style that, um, how, I mean, it's Office UI Fabric under the covers as a general um, design language. Right. And then how did he apply it to make it look that, that much different to if I just dropped those onto a normal HTML page? So actually that demo was um, was great testing ground for us because that was the first real-ish application that we had built with the toolkit that leveraged the toolkit. And we um, used that as a way to learn on how to actually apply a lot of those skills to be able to kind of style and template things. We actually built the templating support in the toolkit for that demo because we didn't have it at that time. And Michael needed to build this UI that a designer created. Like, look, I have this UI. It needs to look this way. The component doesn't support this. How do mm-hmm. we do this? So we went in and I actually added the templating support in there and say, hey, look, this is the way that you can do it now. And we work with him to actually support that. Uh, but yeah, we use Fabric as the design language for all of our components by default. So if you just put a component without making any changes, any style changes, it will look like it, it is part of our Microsoft 365 experiences because it's using the same colors, it's using the same styles that Fabric uses. But if you do want to change it, if you do want to make it look different, you want to make it look like your brand, the most simple thing you can do, you just change the color. And the way to do that is through CSS custom properties. You just say, I want to change the background. Here's my, we've documented a CSS property use, and you change the background. But if you want to actually change the functionality, you want to change more than that, you can actually retemplate the whole control, um, which allows you to provide your own HTML, provide your own CSS classes, and kind of style you everything the way you want it to look like. Right. We still give you the data. So we go fetch the data and we do everything for you and say, here, here's this person object. Go nuts and go create a UI for it if you want to do it that way. But if you just want to style it, you can still use the CSS classes. So you have the flexibility to go from, hey, I just want the default experience and make it look like Microsoft, or I just want to change some of the colors to, hey, I want to just change everything. I want to mm-hmm. add my own buttons, or I want to remove content, or I want to add more content. I can just add, do that myself. That's really neat. Yeah. And then you mentioned about the graph call. So under the covers, like the people picker is going to be going off and calling the user's API and so forth. But right. um, what, uh, like, how are you doing that call? Because are you just doing raw HTTP calls there, or what's the stack there that you're using? Yeah, we were using the uh, the Microsoft Graph uh, SDK, so the official JavaScript SDK. So Daryl will be happy there. Right, yeah, we're using Daryl's work on that. But it wasn't always like that. When right. we were first doing um, the development for it, for um, for the initial version, even for the preview at build, we actually wrote our own Graph client for it. Um, it was uh, essentially just using a fetch function to fetch the API from the graph and just return the JSON, raw JSON data from it. And that, that worked for us, but we didn't get any of the you know, caching support or the retry handling and all the middleware support that Daryl has kind of put into their library. And that's something we wanted to do. 
And we also wanted to expose this to a developer. We wanted to say, hey, if a user's, if a developer's using the toolkit, they might want to do more calls with uh, to the graph than what we already do with the components, right? So they might want to call any other API on the graph. And we don't want them to have to reinitialize another graph client. They they do an authentication. So we said, we'll just give them a reference to the client SDK they were using. Right. And instead of us writing a new graph client SDK and can document all of that, why not just use the official one that, that's already been built? So, and that's exactly what we did. But initially, because we're all based on web standards, we're using ES6 modules, the graph client SDK didn't support ES modules. It was all using React, uh, sorry, uh, require JS. And mm -hmm. we could make it work, but it just wasn't ideal. So we actually worked with Daryl and his team to add support for ES6 modules inside of the JavaScript gra graph client SDK in order to be able to use it inside of the, the Microsoft Graph Toolkit. So now a developer using the Microsoft Graph Toolkit can get a reference to the actual SDK that we're using and they don't have to uh, get any tokens from the, for the authentication. We'll handle that for them. They just have to call the APIs off of that client SDK, and it's all documented on their GitHub. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and it does show like so inside of it, you're using himself or auth, right. using himself provider, Office UI Fabric, the graph SDKs, and right. then you guys at the top of that stack. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like all the best practices that we expect right. our developers to use. We do We're that. We're doing that yeah. ourselves. That's really neat. And and just to explain, like, I mean, I, I think prior to working at Microsoft, I've been here for a while now, like 2013 I joined, but like understanding the different buildings, like I'm in building 109 today, like what's in building 109? Like I'm over in 32, Daryl's in the virtual Montreal office. But in terms of organizations, you're not within our graph engineering team you're a, nope. a, a separate team and so why does your team care about this what's the team's charter and how it aligns with what we do um, on graph well we're here just to help uh, we are our history has been with developer uh, experience uh, i came from the windows community toolkit that was kind of my baby up until i was doing this uh, and i've always kind of done windows um, but then i mean Talk about a bit of history. There was a bit of reorg that happened in in our team. Wait, a reorg at Microsoft? <laughs> that happened every other month. <laughs> um, that we got partnered in. Say, hey, now you're not just doing Windows, you're also helping with Office and Microsoft 365. And Microsoft Graph is all across Microsoft 365. So it will be good for us to help the our team, help the Microsoft Graph team, and help all the teams with whatever they're doing on, around the Microsoft Graph and ensure we have the tools that developers need to be successful on whatever they're building. We're starting with the web, but doesn't mean that that's the only area we're gonna be focusing. For example, uh, since that move, we added new controls into Windows Community Toolkit that are built on top of the graph. So we were mirroring the exact same components that you can find in the Microsoft Graph Toolkit inside of the Windows Community Toolkit. So if a developer is building a native application on, on Windows or EWP or WPF or WinForms, um, they can use the Windows Community Toolkit to do some of the exact same things we do on the Microsoft Graph Toolkit now. So our goal is to be able to support any developer, no matter where they are, to, to be more successful and to be accelerated in their development. And you have other parts of the organization that I'm working with inside of PACS mm -hmm. um, that work directly with partners. And it's interesting because they're the ones that like they they cut through the complexity of the different engineering orgs so that 
you know, if they've got four questions around the graph and one's in OneDrive and one's in Mail and one's in Teams that the PAX team actually helped to navigate and like kind of almost project manage and account manage right. getting that partner answers. So it's a really cool org for for that as well. Right. Yeah, we're kind of the um, know-it-all. We, we handle <laughs> the partnership and the relationship and the technical uh, yeah. skills. Yeah. Yeah. And na- help navigate outside of the, I guess, the blinkered world that most of our en- engineering teams yeah. live within. It's very complicated. Even if I'm in the middle of it, it's still very complicated. Oh, it is. Yeah. And it changes. You say there's reorgs all the time yeah. where people's priorities go. Now, I did want to mention about the CDN stuff too. So there were some decisions earlier on that had to be made around like, where do we publish this thing? How are people going to consume it? And what's the right way to do this? So can you talk through some of the points of like why the toolkit, li- well, where does the toolkit live? How can I get it to start right. with? I mean, as a, as a web developer, I'm kind of used in my ways and didn't come overnight, right? As I was um, I was starting out as a web developer, the best way to get started was to just put a script tag on my page and just see what happens and kind of get that going. But I think over the years, a lot of the libraries out there kind of went away from that and either only shipped NPM packages or they had to they had a lot of dependencies you have to get through before you can actually even start using it. So when I was starting with this with this library, I always wanted to make sure that as a developer starting using this toolkit, they don't really have to do anything other than just putting a script tag on their page and be able to start using the components. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, but we also understand that majority of developers who are building production applications don't do that. They actually use NPM packages or they have a bundler like Webpack or Rollup or Parcel, whatever it is, they want to do that. So we wanted to make sure that no matter what the developer is using, we don't want to get into their way. We don't want them to change how they're actually building their applications or what tools they're using. We wanted to make sure that they can actually uh, just use the use the toolkit any way they want, they see fit. So we're both shipping... Uh, a bundle on CDN so a developer can just grab the script tag, put it on their page and just have a component running and it's two lines of code or they can just download the NPM package. Um, we have both ES6, ES5 and um, required JS um, packages that they can use and they can use them with whatever bundling framework they use. And if they want to do tree shaking so they don't, so they don't use all the code that they don't need, they can do that with whatever tools they're using and they're not blocked by any of the decisions that we had to make. So it's it, you've given people the choice, the flexibility to go whichever route they want to go. Exactly, yeah. That's really cool. And so what does the future look like? You know, you can't just lay down this awesome couch you have in your office. He has I an wish. office for one and he has a cool couch in here too. It's a full-size couch As too. well as the giraffe suit you wore at Ignite, uh, at Build even. But um, what's the plans now that V1 shipped? Like what? Like, what does your world look like for the next three months and onwards? Well, my number one priority right now is to just gather feedback. Um, I would like to see some usage uh, from developers and to get some honest feedback on what's working and what's not working. Um, We can't improve without that. And being in the open source and and working on being very flexible in how we actually release the toolkit, we can fix things really quickly. We can update things really quickly. And the only way we can do that is by working with the community and getting the feedback from them from from their usage. So that's the number one thing is just working with the community and getting getting things uh, updated, fixed, uh, and just improved. The second thing is we have, I mean, you can look at my whiteboard right now. There's like 17 different things I kind of want to do for the toolkit. And it's, it's kind of crazy. And I don't think we're going to get to all of them. 
Uh, but there are a few things that, that I want to get to. Number one thing I want to start looking into is how do we support even more authentication scenarios? If I'm using a backend authentication on, for example, on behalf of Flow, or if I'm even using SAML authentication, if I have like a setup that I've built many years ago and I'm still using that, how can the toolkit leverage that? And you can do that right now. We want to make that even easier to do that. Things like teaming. I want to support light and dark teaming. And I hear dark team is very important these days. So I want to look at how do we actually make our components uh, be smart about choosing what team they use, depending on what the browser has set, as well as allowing the developer to change the team or provide, make their own teams. Um, things like supporting multiple um, different templates or supporting uh, templating into different languages. Like what if I want to use my own custom templating language? How would I actually work that with the toolkit and kind of be able to support that? Adding more components. We have a list of five or six components that we think developers might want. And we're kind of looking to see which one to prioritize. I think the number one component that I want to put in there is the calendar component. Right now we have agenda, which doesn't allow you to create events. I want mm -hmm. to have a component that actually allows you to create events and allows you to have a day view, a month view, a week view, and you'll kind of have a more complex control to be able to do that. Um, as well as how do we create uh, an experience for developers to try things out? Right now you can go in JS Fiddle and kind of play around with it, but we also want to have a developer site where developers can go in and auto-generate, for example, the client ID so they don't have to go to the Azure portal and be able to create and have to go through the steps to create a client ID, be able to just have one click, create a client ID, and have it try out directly into the site automatically. So make it really easy for developers to to get started with the toolkit and yeah, with the graph cool. in general. And so uh, with Ignite around the corner in November 4th, I think it starts, um, you're going you're gonna to be, be there. What kind of things are you going to be talking about at the event? Oh, man, I'm so excited about this. So I will be there the whole week. I'll be at the boots. In your giraffe suit. Uh, if they let me. Uh, <laughs> yes, I want to be in the giraffe suit, or if I find better suit, I might do that. Um, I'll be at the boots talking to people, answering questions, asking questions, and just having fun uh, on the floor. I have a session, uh, a theater session on the Graph Toolkit where I'll be demoing a lot of the stuff we can do right now, and I'll demo some prototypes of things that we're thinking of doing with the toolkit. Um, and in general, just be there to support the team on the Microsoft Graph. I know we have plenty of Graph sessions out there, so I'll be there to kind of support the team. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you're going to be on the community call. This will get published Monday morning. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, Great. and then you're on the community call on Tuesday morning. I get tomorrow when you listen to this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you can either be there live, like a very loyal Graph community call visitor or um, audience member. I don't even know what you call them. Yeah. Um, or you can watch it on demand because they will publish those or record it on YouTube pretty soon afterwards so that you can get the visual appeal of what Nicola's going to show. Awesome. Yeah. And I so how do people follow on? Where's the best places to go for the toolkit? Um, where can they follow you personally? Right. If one thing you need to remember is the link, which is aka.ms slash MGT or Microsoft Graph Toolkit. Yeah. So just MGT. Uh, and the reason for that is all of our components start with MGT, so MGT agenda, MGT login. So that's one way to remember it. So aka.ms slash MGT. Um, and then it will take you to the GitHub page. You submit issues there. You go to the document. You can go to the documentation from there. You can basically get anywhere. It's like one place to get started. If you want to follow me, you want to ask questions, you want to just interact with me, you want to you know, buy me beer, whatever it is, <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter, just my last name. Just M-E-T-U-L-E-V, and then you'll find me on Twitter and just 
reach out to me on DM or Metulev. Metulev, yeah. Oh, I was close. So close. I mean, it's okay. Uh, and that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. And so um, the docs also, which is great, are part of the official graph documentation. So this isn't Nicola's side project that we're pimping here. This is like a genuine thing that's supported across the whole whole of Microsoft. So um, it's just great that we get your time to kind of jump you on the show and talk to you about this and that you're going to come on the community call to share this stuff as well. So this is as official as you can imagine as a... Uh, component library so a big thank you for driving this effort and i'm really excited to start seeing the telemetry come through on the usage here and seeing who's using what and yeah you couldn't stop me from doing these things so i'm gonna i'm gonna i would surprise you didn't pick the people picker so i my money's on people picker if this time next year well, the people picker also uses the person card. So no matter what you uh, use, uses the person so card. True. So if you know the architecture, you know. Yeah, you just yeah. cheated a little bit, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <Yes. laughs> well, look, thanks again. And uh, enjoy your, your weekend. And uh, we'll see you in the community call next week. Yeah, I can't wait. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.